I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Motorsport Magazine podcast. It's the last one of the year, and I can tell you we've saved the best till last. So I think you're really going to enjoy this one. We're actually uh, in the headquarters of the Williams Formula One team with Sir Frank himself. And of course, Motorsport Magazine being Motorsport, uh, you'll remember uh, it used to be Williams Grand Prix Engineering. That's how we always remember it anyway. So uh, welcome, and uh, before we begin, let me tell you about uh, quickly about our subscription offer at the moment, which is if you subscribe for 12 or 24 editions, you will save up to 24% on the newsstand price, and you will receive an exclusive motorsport whiskey tumbler absolutely free of charge. So there's a last-minute Christmas Christmas present for you. Subscribe to Motorsport and get a whiskey tumbler. Just go to our website, motorsportmagazine.com forward slash XMP13. Or you can call us on 0207 349 8490. Anyway, Frank, thank you very, very much for this. Good to see you. Thank you very much, dear. Um, we're going to talk about the past today, actually. Uh, and... Uh, just so everybody knows, was there a moment in your early life when you thought, right, I'm going to go motor racing? I think I to the answer to that question. I was followed motor racing in the water sport when I was at boarding school. And as soon as I left school, I used to, my mother ran a school for mentally retarded children outside in Nottinghamshire. And the country is hitchhiked from that weekend to go to Silverstone or whatever. So I was becoming quite addicted to racing. When did I start myself racing? I saw advertising Autosport and Austin A35 brackets X Graham Hill have 400 quid and I thought, well, I'll probably get 60 or 70 quid for my savings, put the rest on the HP. My mother guaranteed the HP payments and I went off with a friend of mine. He drove me down there and uh, we, we bought the car and I drove it back. It was had black roundels. I was a real ball racer. <laughs> black roundels on the side, very noisy. Stick on stick on number plates in those days, no proper number plates. I drew a lot of attention to myself as I drove it back. But I began to race that car, and from then on, things happened, yeah. At what stage um, did it occur to you to run a team as opposed to race a car? Because they're very different things, aren't they? Yeah, I think it was Piers Courage. That's right. 
He'd been driving a McLaren Formula 2 car in 67. Then he drove for BRM in 68 and didn't do, do very well at all. It looked like his career was falling apart. In the meantime, at the same time in 68, he was driving BRM. He, he drove a Formula 2 car for me and I kind of liked that very much, the, the sort of entering part of it. So um, I found myself buying with what I can't remember, um, a one-year-old Formula One Brabham, which to the fury of Ron Torak of Brabham, because he'd sold that car to a hill climber, thinking, could I, because it was a current car, they decided to race the 68 car in, six, in 69, but I bought the hill climb car, and I had the same identical car as the works cars. Uh, we beat them a few times too. And I never knew either how you did a deal with, I mean, eight, also you got Cosworths, uh, so, mm. And and you had the only other Dunlop deal, didn't you? Apart from that's right, yeah. from Ken. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think Dunlop was done. Piers Piers Courage was very well, highly regarded. Yeah. For competitive reasons, I think social reasons at the hierarchy in Dunlop at the time. <laughs> I had quite a few doors, bless him. And um, the the engine was just get a cost. If you got the money, they'll take your money and give you some engines. Yeah. Looking back, Frank, running a team has always been tremendously demanding hasn't it I mean do you have any one single regret about it all or not or have you have you really loved it all well I'm not one for looking back I mean um, what you, what, the mistakes you made one generally you're being human one learns from them and in fact the whole business of entering Formula 1 was not, not really pre-planned because Pierce Courage had a shocking season partly self-created Driving a Formula Two car, no, the BRM, with the, the red, the Pinel BRM, that was it. And his career needed rescuing, and he was a great friend. And he was driving for me at the time in Formula Two. And I just bought from a hill climb guy, a wealthy man called Bridges, Jeff Bridges of Brabham, which he had just bought from Ron Tornak, a '68 Brabham. And the Brabham Ron had decided that the '68 Brabham was good enough to race in '69, so he's updated the, the last year's cars, and the car he sold to the hill climb man suddenly when it really pissed him off turned up in the hands of a private entrant called Frank Williams for Pierce Courage so he was, he was, he was very unhappy Jack Brabham even more so but that's, that's just happened yeah mm. I was, I was, was something I don't think I've ever asked you has there been one day a single day that, that you would say was the best day you've had in racing. I mean, was it was it Clay at Silverstone because it, it was probably, the first? It was probably that, yeah, it was probably Clay. Because it just struck me when Rob was doing his intro about the subscription and the Scotch class. I remember the after the race, uh, and of course it was much more informal in those days. Uh, I don't think there was any sort of press conference or anything, but I remember as a lifelong non-smoking teetotaler somebody thrust into your hand as one, a cigar in one hand and a, and a glass of scotch. And the, that, yeah, and you did very gamely, I think. Scotch? You did set the scotch, yeah, yes. I the fag, yeah. did I? Uh, it was, no, it wasn't a fag, it was a cigar. It was yeah. even worse, yeah. No, I think you sort of waved it around no, a bit. No, but no. <laughs> I don't remember. I remember, this, I remember the whiskey. Yeah, yeah. In fact, yeah, there's actually the only ever. It was, in, there was in the, it was just in a tent. Do you remember? There was no. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was so relaxed. And, I will remember drinking whiskey. Was the only way you get the, the crazy horse suit in Paris is by buying a drink of whiskey. <laughs> so I had to do that. Yeah. I mean, you said there was no press conference. I mean, I was spectating. It was just before I started as a journalist, and I was spectating the day at Beckett's, and Clay came round. I think sitting on top of an Austin Princess, 
um, with Jean-Pierre Gerrier and, uh, and, and the, 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 the post-race celebration, rather than being ushered up a set of stairs into a very formal thing, they were put on the back or roof of an Austin princess and yeah. taken, taken around the circuit. Yeah, that's right. And then taken back to this tent. Yes, it was hard to believe now in these days of the wing, isn't it? Well, we, we, could, we could say those were the days, but then, uh, as you say, you don't really like looking back. So, so the, obvious, uh, the obvious next thing to ask you is, do you still get the same thrill out of going Grand Prix racing as you always have done? Yeah, it's, it's I really enjoy my life. I mean, I enormously enjoy my life. I couldn't think of anything else I would have done. Um, the only thing I did think of was... When I was young, I was trying to join the Air Force and fly fighters, but I'm useless at maths and physics, so I had no chance of getting up in the air. So I just kind of just found, happily and luckily, uh, a way into motor racing bit by bit. Your own days when you, when you were driving, it's always struck me that a great omission in the sort of literature of, of motor racing is nobody has ever written a definitive book about the days of the Continental Circus, you know, the mm -hmm. F3, mm -hmm. which you were highly involved in yeah. because there's so many wonderful stories you know from 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 that era yeah. and the well there probably are a lot of anecdotal things that went on when i can't remember most well, of them um, i remember you telling me one about peers in the pajamas it was, no, it was a guy it was another guy called it was a friend of mine was called eddie oh was it yeah oh, Ed, i thought Ed, it was no, well pierce copied him in the end just to sort of bring attention to himself, bless him. But there was this English, there was this thing called Ed, forgive me, his name will come back, who used to, he slept in a tent, but he insisted on going to bed in pyjamas. Yeah. yeah, that's right. He'd appear in the morning a little sleepily, and he'd stagger off to the washrooms in, the, in an autobahn, if he was keeping there the night, you know, the rast, in the rast house place. He'd go in there and couldn't care less. So he'd brush his teeth, have a shave, come back out again. Then going to go, go, go back in for breakfast after his rest. Uh, Eddie, Eddie, someone will come back to me. He was well known in the F3 circuit in the late 60s. I it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it, it was a pretty gypsy way of life, though, wasn't it? Sort of just going from one town to another to another to another and highly dangerous. I did. Circuits. I just it was an itinerant way of life. <laughs> but it was also we romantic. Didn't want, we didn't have a shower every day. <laughs> but, but it was also romantic in a way because you were like a band of brothers travelling around Europe and. Whereas nowadays drivers are, mm -hmm. you know, need a wealthy sponsor, a wealthy father, whatever. I mean, in those days you were paid start money quite often too. You could actually make a living yes, it was living a, this gypsy lifestyle. A, a sort of gypsy lifestyle, yes, it was. It was fun most of the time. We're all young, fairly irresponsible. And we all lived for, uh, dreamt of motor racing and becoming stars in, in Formula One. Most people didn't make it, but we had a great trip along the way. Which one which I, for us, I, I don't remember would regret. In fact, it opened doors to get me here today. For, you know, well, but Piers had a bad time and I had a car in stock and I said, oh, God, I'll lend you a car, let's go do the Formula 3 race. And I couldn't, after that, I couldn't stop. Mm. Mm. Frank, uh, uh, everybody knows that a, a, a huge turning point in the history of Williams uh, was the arrival of Patrick Head. Absolutely. Um, night became day. Night became day, yes. Uh, what do you remember? Actually, I think his, his wife's maiden name was Day, but never care after that point. <laughs> <laughs> it was a day somewhere in that family. Uh, what, what, what do you it's remember true. of uh, your first meeting with him when you made uh, an approach to him to, to, for him to come and work with you? It was Guy Edwards who said, a good guy, Patrick Head, da 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 da. 
I said, I get a meeting. I said, where is he? He said, well, he'll be, he's into yachts at the moment. He'll be, he'll be messing about with his boat. And sure enough, this jaunty sailor-looking bloke turned up, paint all over his pullover. So it was a well-worn out sand shoes with no laces. And this was Patrick. Well, the witness is the truth, but it was a great conversation. It just, it just happened. We just clicked. It was obviously he was very intelligent. The thing, well, the, the, the anecdote Patrick always tells about that first meeting, it, from his point of view, he says he remembers you saying to him, are you prepared to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Well, I said, no, of course I'm not. And if you have to, they're not running things very well. Something, you know, like this. He Is that trying, accurate? He was trying to dominate from the start by giving me a bollocking. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, apart, from, apart from his obvious abilities technically, what was the what was the secret of the relationship? Because it lasted a hell of a long mm. time, didn't it? What was the yeah? Well, first of all, he was everything a team principal could wish for. He was dynamic. He was very intelligent, but very very practical. He could weld. He could do very much anything for, on a racing car himself. and raced his own car. Uh, he was a very, very capable sailor, so he knew how to deal with most things in the world, except maybe commercial matters to me. And we knew our places in the, in the team, so to speak, and we, we sort of connected very well. I did my part, got a bit of luck on my side with the Saudis, etc. at very much the appropriate moment. And uh, Patrick delivered everything he delivered, which was an outstanding racing car in its day. That was a class of the field for about two years, yeah. Hmm. Well, how much, how much did it did the did this place change when he left, if at all? Well, he, he, he stood down, he died, I mean, he, and he still was present. From what I remember, most many days a week on outside projects, he still comes in very frequently. But it's it's fair to say it was not quite the same. And Patrick was a tough guy. Uh, you knew when you, you knew when he was coming down the corridor. His voice blessed him. His, being a sailor, his voice generally preceded him. And he had this habit of sort of beating the sides of the wall as he went along. <laughs> I just about begin to indulge in jungle warfare. And I thought, shit, nobody's going to my office. <laughs> if I'd been more mobile, I'd been out that door a bit more often. Excuse <laughs> <laughs> yeah. my language. Mm. <laughs> friend, uh, is it fantastic partner. Mm. Uh, are we, uh, would I be right in thinking that you've always enjoyed a feisty... Uh, chap in the sense I'm thinking of Alan Jones we've talked about Patrick Head um, I guess I'm not sure Nigel Mans Mansell was feisty but he was certainly Keki was certainly feisty Keki yeah. was certainly yeah. feisty yeah, um, would that be true Frank or? It's, it's, it's I didn't choose drivers come here because they think they get a better car here they're, they're, they're presently on offer to them elsewhere let's say and you know, the drivers have come across the door here have generally been very desirable drivers. It's not as I'm out to go out and be very persuasive. It's the quality of our equipment, in fact, for any team. It would attract drivers. We're not renowned for paying particularly well. But, of course, Patrick, in his day, set a standard of racing cars with his uh, active ride car that really was a big step. And then Adrian picked it up and made it even better. So we became a very desirable part of the planet for quite some time. Do you remember feeling a major sense of almost relief once Patrick came on board because you talk about drivers coming to you, good drivers coming to you, but in the early 70s, during the previous iteration of Williams, 
I mean, you had some very good people, Jacques Lafitte, Tony mm. Bryce, but also you had a few, no, you're, quite you're, a few winter drivers. Was it, was it a sense of relief when, when once things started to pick a major sense of, did you feel a major change? Yes, that was a very spot on question. Patrick brought everything this team was missing, which was law and order technically. I said, it's the majority of it all, really. I was wandering around, stumbling from sort of mistake to mistake, and uh, it being pretty evident to. But Patrick was a properly qualified, university qualified mechanical engineer uh, with, sound, with, sound, with a sound practical approach and a strong discipline to what he thought a piece of metal could and couldn't do. And he applied that and he made superb racing cars. And when Adrian died, our strength doubled and uh, the history really got, got good for us. When it came to choosing drivers, Frank, did you... Was Patrick very much involved in that, or, oh, or yes. was choice of drivers always very much your well? No, domain? It, was, it was. Well, I had the final call, but we discussed. We generally met on drivers. I don't think. In fact, you, the, the choice in the marketplace is never good, because you, you will never find six superstar drivers on the market at any one time. You know, maybe Vettel might become free at the end of the year, but Weber and three others won't come free at the same time. Let, as an instance, so um, someone has to be alert at all times. We've got, we've got a question. We, in fact, we've got a lot of questions from our readers, you won't be surprised to know. But um, this one comes actually from a Brazilian chap called Mario Carneiro Neto. And he wonders, Frank, um, if you could say a little bit about Brazilian drivers. Because, you know, you've had three or four, uh, four and mm. about to have a fifth. Um, is there something about the Brazilians that... Uh, that, that is a bit different, do you think, or not? Well, it's an interesting question because it's obvious that some Brazil Australians are very good and brilliant indeed, racing drivers, Emerson and so on, and Nelson. These, these are world-class drivers. And we were fortunate to obtain the services of some of those along the way, Pache, etc. But why this is, you can't say... That. I mean, if, if they all came from Finland and black ice and snow and rain, you'd understand it. But there's almost no, well, there's none of that down there that I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of rain, mind you, but uh, undrivable rain. I don't know what I don't know what the answer is to that. Except unless they used to driving dreadful. Well, they all drove a sort of version of a Volkswagen when they were young, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. And I suppose if you survive that at high speed, you're you're you for your first step to glory. A lot of them, though, seem to have. I, a, I won't be post persecuted or criticised or what's prosecuted by Volkswagen by having said that. <laughs> you <won't be. laughs> Other cars are available, yes. But they also, apart from the driving side of it, though, uh, uh, many of them seem to have a certain, um, how can I put it, a, there's a sort of aura about them, isn't there? Or do you think that's a media uh, dreamt-up thing? They, they, they seem to have a certain calmness, a certain presence. Mm. I'm, I have no wisdom on that. I would just say Emerson Fittipaldi seemed to have a little bit of an aura as if he knew without being conceited about it, he was a bit different. He was certainly very intelligent. Carlos Bachin, no, I wouldn't have said so. Um, certainly Ayrton was very special, intellectually very gifted, a lot of presence. He had aura. Mm. Right. Nigel, he was a brute force. He was unstoppable. And it, he came from a different direction, but he was just, just as effective. Yeah, apart from when he was waving to the crowd. Oh, yeah, sure, that's right. Race, <laughs> or, or falling over on the podium steps in Monaco. <laughs> no, it's a fantastic. Actually, once we start getting into this, we... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, I wonder if, I wonder if, if, if perhaps 
Mansell is still underrated. What, what, do, what do you feel about that? Well, let think. I think he could have been better. I think he left. I can't remember what the circumstances were. He left. I think. I think he left. We annoyed him about somebody decided to go because he threw his overalls off into this and that at the end of his last race or something. Gave everything away. Can't quite remember. But if he'd stayed longer, he would have done better. I think. He went straight to the States to, uh, to drive for Newman Haas. He put his own, extinguished his own light, really, which yeah. he shouldn't have yeah. done. And then he came back for that brief period. Well, he came uh, back to you, yeah. in fact, after after Ayrton's accident, didn't he? For half a season. Yeah, sure. And then, uh, and then had that brief couple of races with McLaren, and, and that was that. Yeah. yeah. Actually, Frank, I must say, I, 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 people might laugh at this, but the driver, we talk about underrated drivers, um, underrated by history. I think Alan Jones is one, and I, oddly enough, I also think the other is Prost. I think yeah. Pro I think Prost is Prost's name doesn't come up instantly to 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 a lot of people when they think about the great drivers of history, and I I can't imagine why. But jolly well should do. Well, well I tell you, partly what certainly as a character, Alan was very understated. Yeah, very quiet and understated, almost shy, but I mean, just extremely clever man. Very, very special in a car. I think, yeah, he took as few risks as he's failed to get away with without damaging his pace. I mean, he's very careful on the track. And I think the other thing was that he, he, he made it look so easy, didn't he? That's which my point. which yeah, is that's also right. that's, that, right. that's why mm. people tend perhaps to not remember. There's never a drama when he was driving. No, 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 sure. Is, do you think there's a thing? Uh, uh, if we look at Grand Prix racing today compared to, say, 30 years ago, um, the amount of technology that's available now, uh, both to the team and the driver. Do you still think that um, a great driver can make a real difference? Is that always going to be the case, do you think? If a driver steps out, a great driver steps out of the world's best racing car and goes one row back, he'll still be probably a winner. If he goes five rows back, in any season, he'd probably struggle to win a race. There is, there's a bit of a difference. I mean, what's our car? One second off the pace, probably? Sure. And maybe more. Sure. And we're trying to help to catch up, but we're failing. We'll get there, well, let's just say we, we hope we'll get there eventually again. But I mean, don't, um, there are, I mean Adrian, I think Adrian should be banned. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was, yeah. <coughs> pay, just pay him off, give him 50 million quid to go and have a holiday. I think Red Bull does give him 50 million, don't <laughs> Yeah, no, a lovely, lovely guy, a lovely man. Totally, like he's totally unspoiled. Yeah. It's just incredibly innocent, I mean, it's what I like that. He is presumably the most valuable man in the paddock. He has to be, absolutely. Yeah. But based on what you've just said, Frank, I mean, would uh, can we judge, say, Vettel, without if he hasn't raced another type of car? What, what, what's your view on that? I think that even without Adrian, he'd still win races. He'd find it harder, and he certainly wouldn't win anything like as many. But I think he'd still be a top man for winning a championship. Yeah, and four in a row. <laughs> yeah, sure, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I'll put it this way: if he had a row with with his governor. And he said, I'm not, not driving next year. And we came on the marketplace. There'd be a rush. <laughs> There'd be a rush, yeah. You'd be at the head of the queue, no doubt. Well, the thing is, I couldn't have spent Ferrari, could I? 
<laughs> Probably not, no. It would be the top of the queue, it would be trying, yeah, I would imagine, yeah. Frank, you said a couple of minutes ago that if Nigel had stayed, you think he could have fl- continued to flourish in Formula One. Yes. Um, are, there any, are there any drivers in particular that you, I mean, there have been some very good guys who've left you just after winning a championship, PK, Hill, Mansell, etc. I mean, are there any guys you particularly wish you'd been able to hold on to at the time? Because there have been quite a few who've won a title with Williams and, yeah. then, and then moved on. I think that, that well, obviously, Nigel was regrettable he chose to leave when he did. Alan Prosser, did, did, uh, did he retire when he left us? Yeah. He did, yes. Yeah, that's he right, yeah, he yes. But, but in fact, I mean, I mean, that was what Le- Nigel's leaving was all about, wasn't it? It was, it was Alan, Alan's coming to the team mm-hmm. for, uh, yeah. for 93. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I think Alan's departure was triggered by yeah. Ayrton coming. That's right, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you something about looking back to the beginning of Williams? Um, I've read the book, and how you ever found, kept finding the money, I still don't quite understand. But I knew lots of Peters and lots of Pauls. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't understand. <laughs> um, well... Will it always be like Premiership football or any other world top le- top level sport? Will always be a constant search to be able to afford it. And how much longer do you think uh, this type of spending can go on? Well, I've always thought on that issue. There'll always be trouble finding money. There always is money in the world. The clever guys will always find enough at the right time, even if it's just in time. And the evidence is I was correct. Mm. But the, the technology, though, demands more and more money, doesn't it? That uh, I mean, in the beginning, you had a Cosworth engine. The cars were relatively straightforward, although uh, mm-hmm. Patrick, of course, introduced the um, skirts and the ground, that, that, which was a new technology. But mm-hmm. um, the 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 pace of technology is so rapid now, isn't it? That it's that it's uh, it demands greater and greater. Yes, but the regulations are very very tightly controlled. To I think to prevent well, I know, to prevent mad mad endless expenditure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Having said that, there's still there's still there's no substitute for outstanding brain power. Witness that fine thin Englishman, who is very shy. <laughs> He's got an extraordinary understanding of airflow. Mm. I think, you know, people in the outside world, Frank, who know a little bit about racing but not much, what they really struggle to understand is how, what, on, how can it make sense financially or any other way to have wind tunnels going 24 hours a day, seven days a week? And what does that, in the end, well, give, it's give, very to, simple the, give to the that. people who go and watch if it? If it's too much, go leave. I don't want to leave. I want to win. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I work and the money's out there. We yes, can find the money. Yeah, sure. And other people like me think and do the same. Do you, but do you not think that um, there's been perhaps the last few years just too much emphasis on aerodynamics? Because one thing I'm, I'm looking forward to next yeah, year is point, we might yeah, actually yeah. see cars overtake each other in a straight line next year, mm, yeah. just by virtue of having more horsepower. Yeah, sure. Which would make a unusual spectacle. A change. Yeah. An unusual spectacle. Well, certainly the current cars really have not seen much of an excess of horsepower over at Eason, if you like. But next year might be, might be different, yeah. hope so. 
I like the sound of this four times as much talk. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That'd be very interesting to watch. Um, can we take another uh, reader's question, Frank? The, uh, this is Sami Ahmed, and he, he, he wonders if the relationship with BMW, ha had it lasted longer, uh, might it have won you another constructor's title? Oh, it's impossible to answer that. They had very clever people there, very competitive, rich company, make a lot of horsepower on their engines. Uh, um, but um, if they'll ever come back, I've not the slightest idea. Great brand for Formula One. Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. And Honda now, of course, coming back. And the yeah. company you know. They're real racers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember when I... Who was it? When 86, eight, that was it. Nigel was already signed up, and they were keen to get Nelson. And I could sign Nelson about half past midnight in the, you know, the local hotel at Suzuka or something. I can't remember. And I told the boss guy was waiting for me to come back from the meeting. I said... It's done. He knocked on all the doors. There were about 30 Japanese came out in their pyjamas and their knickers. <laughs> and all that in a place. But know what I mean? I was absolutely thrilled a bit. Just de dedicated to winning. It was very impressive, actually. Mm. Actually, it's something... It's, I think it's a very interesting area, This the emphasis you just put on that word, races, um, is really... I mean, it's what it's all about, from the bottom up and the top down, isn't it? It's, the, it's that absolute desire to win. Mm. Well, it's, too, it's a twin thing. It's absolute desire to go racing. I mean, look at him. He's just a racer through and through. Always will be till we bury him. Sorry, we don't mean Nigel in a nice way. Um, there are quite a few people who are totally sincere and live for Formula 1, as people do for football or athletics. It's a healthy business, healthy thing. And I think just with the technology that goes along with motor racing, that is part of it. It's an amazing job, amazing business. It has, it has its followers, that's for sure. I think it was Bill Shankly who said that f football isn't a matter of life and death. It's, it's much more important, important than, than that. that yes. Yes. <laughs> Very good, brilliant quote. Absolutely. Yeah, real, very good. <laughs> but Frank, I mean, I always think of you fundamentally as a purist when it comes to racing. Uh, I don't think many young ladies think that. <laughs> <laughs> when I was younger, that and I young wonder. I, I mean, there are several aspects of contemporary Formula One that I find offensive. Like, um, I, I find DRS offensive because to me, it's mm -hmm. it's it's a gimmick, um, and it's and it's reduced the importance of overtaking. I think. Sure. Um, so things like that, and and all sorts of things that are potentially you know on the table for discussion for the for the future like you know stipulating how many pit stops you must have uh, i mean I, I, it seems to me to be tampering with with something that well they are it's, a, it's for the show yeah i know and which, but, which had become a bit routine yeah but uh, well okay but it but mm. it still was reality um i mean it may have been boring for vettel to win nine on the trot i think what drove it was the fact that to some extent at least half a dozen cars out there of fairly similar, but the Red Bull accepted a very similar performance and overtaking was a problem. Well, yeah, no, no, absolutely. No, I, I, I do appreciate that. But it seems as instead of fun attacking the fundamental problem, which is really, I mean, it, like it or not, it is the aerodynamics. Too that's, much well, that's what prevents. Too much wing, that's right, yeah. Rather than addressing the fundamental problem, it just seems to be sort of tinkering with sure. mm -hmm. gimmicky 
Yeah. And, and mm. I, 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 it seems to be getting so much more complicated than it was. It was, it was um, just for, for people to, to follow, people sitting at home who know a little bit about it. it there are so many more rules now than there were. Yeah. Mm. And I just wondered if you had an opinion about the way it was going. Well, I think I suppose people tend to look only at the problem that's just a hand without looking at ongoing consequences. They might fix the problem in immediate, simple terms, but it has long-term consequences, like overtaking, etc. Um, it depends. I think the whole thing is driven by TV figures. And if Bernie walks in and says, oh, TV figures are disastrous, and the sponsor at the same time is saying, oh, I'm not going to pay you 40 million any. I've got to look at this. Just, just will not do it. People like you and everybody else get paid a lot of attention and agree to anything. That's the cycle. And so, similar things are happening in other um, top-level sports, aren't mm -hmm. they? I mean, there isn't a single English player in the Manchester City football team, for example. Wow. I mean, That's embarrassing. But it's all about money, isn't That's it? That's what I say. Yeah. It's the richest club as well, isn't it? Yeah. Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Abu Dhabi, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Frank, just before we finish, can I come back to another question from Marida because um, they're keen to obviously <laughs> hear what you have to say. And if you went over to the museum, and would there be would there be one or maybe two cars in there that we, that would you make you pause and smile and think? Yeah, yeah, yeah the first day seven and the end the, the first day seven, was what the eighty six car FW eleven because they pissed on everybody. As simple as that. It's just human. It's just human nature. <laughs> You tell the speed response is the automatic response, yeah. Well, no, I thought you might say that. I just <laughs> the good news about that is an Englishman and both um, of similar attitude and stature. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. uh, they were called um, Alan and uh, Nigel. They seem to be rather... Australian. Yeah. <laughs> Those types of Englishmen seem to be rather few and far between in the Sadly. pit lane these days, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> On the same theme of um, you love those cars because they pissed on the rest of the field, um, what's it been like the last few years for someone who's so focused on winning to see your team? Well, that's the other side of the corner. I was mentioned now being pissed on. It's my turn to be pissed on. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's how it happens, isn't it? That's I how it happens. It's as simple as that. Mm, sort yourself out, Frankie boy. That's what the answer is. Yeah. And you are, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, I was uh, plodding along the way. Yeah. Okay. Um, Unless you can ban Adrian Newey. I personally can't. Everybody else would like to be different. different. <laughs> I'd quite like to as well. The actually. thing I love about Adrian is just totally unspoiled. I probably said it before, but yeah, yeah, just uh, no conceit whatsoever. Mind you, if he was down in the workshop, you wouldn't want to ban him, would you? <laughs> oh, no, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. But he's worth, he's, he's worth more than any driver, okay, isn't of he? Of course he Without is. Without a so doubt. Much, yeah. Maybe it'll all change next year. Why has got a manager? <laughs> well, I think we should say on behalf of all, all everybody who reads or looks at Motorsport magazine, thank you for a fantastic team for an amazingly long time. And uh, it's been, you know, people, uh, a lot of a surprising number of people absolutely love the Williams team. Well, I mean, you, very, you're aware of that, I guess. No, yeah? well, no, not, no, I'm not because I'm in, I can I be if you follow me. I mean, I'm a remote like many people in the team. We go to the pits lock ourselves in the pits, inaccessible, then rush off to the airport. Uh, yeah. Well, Frank, I remember yeah. that day at Silverstone in 79 when, when, uh, when Clay won. Your, yeah. It was your, your first win. And I remember people 
fairly sort of, you know, cynical, hardened people in the press room in tears at the end of that race. Really? Yeah. It's probably because I heard the money and I should don't be confused. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not something you very often see in the press room, that, but just because yeah. everybody was so yeah. thrilled for you. That's very kind. Yes, but, I mean, there was, a, there was a similar thing, actually, in Spain in 2012 when Pasta won. I mean, the reaction in the press room at the end of the race, again, this be because, you know, it had been such a long time coming. And it was, it was the same thing. You, know, the, you don't right, often get nice cheers and applause in the press room, ever, in fact. But 2012 in Spain... That's very nice. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be Thanks for I don't know. Thank you very much for telling me. I remember coming here two or three years ago and interviewing various members of the team, and um, I spoke to Tom McCulloch, who's now gone on to... Lovely, lovely guy. And, lovely and man. Tom was telling me how he'd, you know, he'd been offered a job by Jack, but he didn't really want to work for Jack, he wanted to work for you. And he kind of talked his way into reception and managed to like a conversation did, with yes. Sam Michael. And, you know, just said, look, I'll take this job with Jack, but please, can't I work for you instead? And, and you know, next thing, here, here he is. And that kind of passion, I think, just tells you everything yeah. you need to know about the team. I bet you can't wait for next season. <laughs> um, that is the case. Well, it always is the case, actually. Absolutely. Well, the reason I hesitate, I'm just thinking, because how good do I think or know how Kyrie is going to be? That's the biggest concern over the, every, for everybody. Sure. Over there, how good's your kit? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's all very much part of the excitement, too. Yes, yes, yes. But particularly next year, of course. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, Frank. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, that's it for today. Uh, we've been at the Williams uh, Formula One factory in Grove in Oxfordshire. Uh, and uh, we'll be back next year with, uh, with more monthly uh, podcasts from motorsport magazine thank you very much for joining us have a great christmas bye-bye catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 